0: Happy Saturday, and thank you for joining me today. Happy to have you here this weekend. Uh, He was the father of two little girls, and he was an unemployed construction worker. He was a 25-year-old black male named Rodney King. And on the night of March 2nd, 1991, uh, he was watching a baseball game uh, and was drinking alcohol at home at his home in Los Angeles, California, when the game ended, he and his two friends got into a car and it was going at a very high speed. Uh, So at 1230 a.m., while Rodney and his friends were speeding in this car, they ended up passing a police officer, essentially two police officers on the California Highway Patrol. They They were a couple. They were a team. And they passed that police officer car at around 110 to 115 miles per hour. At this point, the police chase had begun and initially Mr. King ignored the police sirens and flashing blue and red lights. During the chase, he ended up running a red light causing an accident. Reportedly within seconds, uh, three o- other op- police officers in their helicopter were on the scene as well. When Mr. King initially pulled over, uh, Officer Melanie Singer ordered everyone to get out of the car. Everyone did except for Rodney. She then repeated her demand and then King uh, emerged. According to the officer, there was some fidgeting by Mr. King, uh, but he finally complied and he got down to the ground. Officer Singer then drew her gun and got ready to make an arrest. And essentially, that could have been the end of it right there. It could have been over if it weren't for the interruption of police officer Sergeant Kuhn. Uh, he said, quote, stand back, stand back. We'll handle this. So Officer Singer backs up. Officer Coon checks out the situation. Officer Coon takes over the situation. And as Kuhn was checking everything out, he came to the conclusion that Rodney King was spaced out and that he was on drugs. And not just on any drug, but uh, Phenceladine which some police officers in this case, which they believed, would give Rodney King unlimited superpowers. As Officer Kuhn grew suspicious of King's muscles, he figured out that maybe he served some time in prison and he lifted weights while he was incarcerated. Uh, He was right. King had previously served and was out on parole for armed robbery. Nevertheless, Officer Kuhn got even more concerned and grew even more suspicious uh, when when Rodney King started standing up and moving around, despite being hit by the officers. That's according to his account. Now, all these flashing lights and noises outside was eventually bound to wake up someone, right? I mean, you couldn't keep the whole neighborhood quiet with this type of commotion outside, especially so early in the morning. And sure enough, it did. According to the New York Times, a couple woke up that morning, and based on their accounts, they said that Rodney King was complying. So that's from one account that morning. Another person in specific who woke up on that early morning, during those early morning hours in Los Angeles, California, was a guy named George Holiday. Uh, He owned a plumbing company in his apartment and was quite startled by the noises he was hearing outside. So he got his new video camera, walked to the bedroom balcony and pointed it directly at the action that was happening across from him. Uh, FamousTrials.com describes the situation like this, quote, he began recording as King rose to his feet and made a charge in the direction of Powell. But the scene came into focus only as officers Powell and Wind began striking King with their metal batons. Before King is finally handcuffed, about a minute and a half later, Holiday's camera records Powell and Wind inflicting over 50 baton blows and several kicks. It also records Officer Brazino stomping on King's shoulder, causing his head to hit hard against the asphalt one or more of the two one or more of the batons blows seems to land contrary to LAPD policy on king's head twice on king's head excuse me the violence is too far from holiday's bedroom to pick up the sound of king as he finally says please stop after King was handcuffed, Kuhn asked all officers who participated in the use of force to raise their hands. Officer Powell and Wind both raised their hands, but remarkably, each learned for the very first time that the other officer had participated in this type of use of force. Powell and Wynn had, in the jargon of law enforcement, quote, tunneled in on King. Shortly before 1 a.m., Kuhn typed a message into his computer You just had a big time use of force, tased and beat the suspect uh, of of the the car chase pursuit. Powell also reported the incident on his computer in a seemingly boastful way, typing, quote, I haven't beaten anyone this bad in a long time. End quote. King was then taken to an ambulance to Pacifica Hospital. After the vicious beating of Rodney King was over, George Holliday, who filmed this, didn't just put his camera away for, like, memories of what happened that night. No, he was pretty convinced that he had captured something significant, maybe even historical that night, of what had just happened to this person. So two days later, he took that footage from his camera, he took that footage that he had captured that night, and he, he gave it to his local TV station, KTLA. News producers at the station found the tape appalling and heinous, and so they played it on the evening news that night. CNN later got a hold of that tape uh, the next day, and it, soon it was just everywhere. After the tape became prevalent, it was almost impossible to not have seen it. Uh, Mr. Holiday, who taped the beating of Rodney King, later told the New York Times, quote, Before they started hitting him, he was pretty much cooperative. It was a weird feeling. I was trying to think, what could he have done to deserve that? End quote. Uh, very, soon as, very soon, a poll was conducted in the city of L.A. Ind- indicating that 92% of people believed that excessive force was used against Mr. King. In fact, the LAPD chief, Daryl Gates, referred to the use of force as, quote, very, very extreme, end quote. And the beating of Rodney King lasted for two minutes, and all of it was just caught on tape. For minorities in the community, it wasn't surprising, but it was relieving that something like this had finally been caught on tape. That someone has, had finally captured this on camera for the entire world to see. I mean, police brutality was happening on a regular basis in these communities, so to have this footage was just sort of revolutionary. Daryl Gates, who became the LAPD chief in 1978, had a past on controversial uh, statements specifically around drugs and race. For instance, he once suggested to to a U.S. Senate committee that casual drug users should be shot. Uh, Chief Gates also once said that blacks and Hispanics should die in chokeholds because their bodies are abnormal. He also said that a Salvadorian resident who died in police custody had no place in the United States. So that's the chief of the Los Angeles police department, chief Daryl Gates, once again, past of those racist and xenophobic remarks. When Rodney King was released from custody on the evening of March 7th, 1991, um, Five days after being viciously beaten by those police officers, doctors said they found, quote, Nine skull fractures, a shattered eye socket and cheek bone, a broken leg, a concussion, injuries to both knees and nerve damage that left his face partially paralyzed, end quote. Charges were supposed to be brought against him, uh, but that was unsuccessful. According to Don Eastman, the deputy district attorney, the police failed to present enough evidence for charges to even be produced, relating, uh, relating essentially to resisting arrest and the battery of a police officer. The mayor of Los Angeles, uh, Tom Bradley, a former police officer himself, was enraged about the footage, um, and he called for an in-depth investigation. On top of that, different civil rights organizations united and vociferously condemned the beating of Rodney King. And as the New York Times put it, a, quote, pattern violent, a pattern of violence and racial abuse among law, Los Angeles law enforcement agencies. The ACLU and other black and Hispanic civil rights advocacy groups uh, joined in the condemnation. Uh, this was unanimous and many people were getting involved here. Carol Heap, the executive director of the Police Misconduct l- Lawyers Referral Service, said, quote, It's horrible, but I must tell you that we receive complaints in this office of that kind of conduct on a weekly basis, if not on a daily basis. The difference this time is that there was somebody there to videotape it. That's the only difference. End quote. There was someone there to videotape it. In one of uh, Miss Heap's recent cases, uh, there was a person named Joe Morgan, a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. He was recently awarded more than a half million dollars after being arrested and physically assaulted by police officers who accused him of being a drug messenger. The New York Times also reported that the LAPD had been in a legal battle with the ACLU over violence and prejudice. The civil rights organization had accused them of shooting, killing, brutality, terrorism, house trashing, and other acts of lawlessness. End quote. The FBI soon began an investigation, um, essentially looking for any potential civil rights violations of Mr. Rodney King. According to the assistant attorney general at the time for civil rights in the Justice Department, Uh, they in the FBI's investigation could possibly produce federal charges against those officers if warranted. On March 18th, uh, the New York Times published a special report based on their analysis of that video. They reported that the other officers were just standing by in the video. They were just standing around while Mr. King was being beaten. And also, according to that special analysis, they say that those officers just made no effort to help, no effort to stop. One witness shouted, quote, no, don't kill him. Those four officers were later put on trial and were just excoriated by the prosecution. The defense sought to justify and refute some of those claims, while another officer condemned his own colleague, saying it was totally unnecessary, despite the video showing no intervention. The fact that there was a history of this type of deplorable behavior in the Los Angeles Police Department, and it it really hadn't been rooted out, was just unsettling. But that video sort of changed everything. It changed the landscape for the fight in the road to legal justice. And just maybe, just maybe a conviction would probably be finally, finally be produced. Why? Because it's been caught on video this time, as Carol Heap said. Maybe a prediction would finally be produced in this context with that type of deplorable, egregious diabolical conduct. Maybe a conviction would be produced this time. At least that's what many people thought, uh, but unfortunately that was not the case. One
1: question on everyone's mind is how did this jury see the same videotape that the world saw and reach the conclusion that no crime was being committed? The jurors were quickly taken from the courthouse. But those who have talked about the verdict clearly believe that Rodney King dictated and controlled the police use of force. And at some point you have to look at that video and say enough is enough. Stop. More questions. Did the prosecution lose or did the defense win? Would calling Rodney King to the stand have made the difference? Lead prosecutor Terry White says now that he never considered calling King to the stand. I think the case was probably lost uh, when you consider our victim Rodney King brought certain liabilities into this case. Uh, Rodney King was speeding. Rodney King didn't stop when the police asked him to stop and Rodney King was somewhat uncooperative once he got out of the vehicle. In court, the tape was shown time and again, frame by frame, but the only testimony about the tape came from the police. I get the impression from listening to some of the jurors' comments today that they felt Rodney King got what he deserved. Since the Rodney King beating, the Los Angeles Police Department has made few changes in its use of force policy. And at least one defendant acquitted in this case believes that's a big mistake.
2: I think the Rodney King incident could, uh, could very well happen tonight, tomorrow, a week, a month.
0: That was reporting from NBC News back in 1991. Um, After the jury delivered their verdict, which acquitted the officers on all charges, people outside the courthouse shouted guilty, guilty, um, as the officers were escorted out of the courthouse. According to Rodney King's bodyguard Tom Owens, uh, King sat quote, absolutely motionless as he watched in pure disbelief the televised verdicts being read. Visibly anger, Mayor Tom Bradley publicly declared, quote, today the jury told the world that what we saw with our own eyes was not a crime End quote within two hours of the jury according to the four officers who savagely beat Rodney King um, LA was up in flames now there were some peaceful protest uh, especially in churches we uh, there was actually footage of that if you search it online Uh, But essentially what garnered and gained and kept national attention uh, were the riots in Los Angeles. Looting transpired, people were shot, beaten, lawlessness engulfed the city for days. And as FamousTrials.com put it, quote, all hell broke loose, end quote. Uh, President George H.W. Bush began calling for peace in Los Angeles during those riots. His administration had been receiving uh, backlash on their stance on civil rights. So as essentially he, he came out and he made a statement and he said that, His Justice Department began a second step in attempting to secure some type of justice for Mr. King. What President Bush did was order the Attorney General of the United States at the time, Bill Barr, to investigate King's beating and see if federal charges could be brought against the four officers who beat him. Uh, the new trial began on February 25th, 1993, and the four officers emerged once again for court. The Department of Justice convened a meritorious, just incredible team of federal prosecutors, uh, one of them being from the U- U.S. Attorney's Office in L.A. Uh, this time, the jury was more racially diverse, unlike the other jury, which was mostly white, and also Ronnie King testified himself. And that actually worried the defense a quite a bit because they perceived him as polite, cordial, and thoughtful, uh, which for them spelled credibility. Two months later, on April 10th, uh, the jury verdict was reached. They had been leaning towards an acquittal for all four of the officers, but three jurors uh, felt that a conviction should be produced, and so they made their case. According to FamousTrials.com, at the time, debates in the jury room became highly emotional. One juror called another juror, quote, an a-hole. Of course, that was not what was said. I'm just... Uh, and also, an, another juror ran out of the room crying. Once they had all finally reached a verdict, everyone high fived and the judge was informed. After that, he postponed, he reportedly postponed the announcement until the next morning at 7 a.m. for the fear of rioting and to essentially limit uh, any damage. The next morning, the verdict was read and two of the four officers were found guilty justice had been served, and those two officers were later sentenced. Uh, Mr. King was later rendered a $3 million settlement from the city of Los Angeles. He also later said that he forgave those officers who beat him that night. So that was 30 years ago. And there definitely are some comparisons as well as lessons when you look back on that beating noun. One, as far as securing justice for victims of police violence, we're still working on that for many. And certainly for one, uh, the beatings haven't stopped. Uh, this here is uh, Devin Carter, 17-year-old Devin Carter. Uh, if you're not watching me on YouTube right now, I recommend that you search this person up, uh, The Beating of Devin Carter. Just search it up and you will see pictures here. Um, this week, last month, a 17-year-old 17-year-old black male named Devin Carter was viciously beaten and arrested for speeding. Uh, the attorney representing Mr. Carter is the same person who represented Rodney King 30 years ago. And the family has just filed a federal civil rights lawsuit. I'm not sure if you read this, uh, but here it is. Uh, so this is what essentially is in this lawsuit against the officers who viciously beat uh, Mr. Uh, who viciously beat Mr. Carter here. All right, the lawsuit begins. Quote. The incident took place on December 30th, 2020. The time of the incident was approximately 8.30 p.m. The location of the incident was at or near the intersection of Davis and 8 Mile Road in Stockton, California. The incident arose when Stockton police officers began to follow Devin Carter, who was initially unaware that he was being followed. Due to the dimly lit area, his fear of coming in contact with police, Devin endeavored to reach his father's home nearby. Officers pursued Devin Carter down Davis Road in an attempt to Uh, make a traffic stop for speeding officers attempted to employ in in pursuit uh, intervention technique which caused an uninvolved motorist to yield and swerve out of the direction of the police vehicle however the police vehicle collided with the uninvolved motorist vehicle Devin Carter was uh, unaware that a collusion occurred and once Devin Carter came to a complete stop northbound on Davis Road just north of another road a police vehicle appeared from a distance and collided with Devin Carter's vehicle As officers approached Devin Carter's vehicle, officer's body cam video footage shows that Devin Carter waited for the police to initiate contact because he placed his hands above the steering wheel as multiple police officers made commands to him. An officer whose identity is unknown opened Devin Carter's driver's side door and without giving him an opportunity to timely respond to his requests, forcibly pulled Devin out of his car and slammed him to the ground without warning or justification. As Devin Carter laid on the ground in a fetal position, <clears throat> one officer viciously struck Devin Carter in the face with his knee. Officers' body camera footage shows that multiple police officers began to repeatedly punch, a knee, and kick Devin Carter in his face, neck, and back as he laid in a fetal position, screaming in agony. Additionally, officers body camera footage shows that multiple officers yelled at Devin Carter to stop resisting as each other continuously as each officer, excuse me, continuously kicked and punched Devin Carter, who responded that I am not resisting. Devin Carter did not pose any threat of harm to the officers while he was restrained on the ground. Therefore, the officers were without just cause in using excessive force to detain him when he showed no signs of resistance end quote. So once again, this is from this lawsuit here. Uh, and it also it also essentially just goes out here what the, some of the officers are saying. It says, quote, another officer can be heard on video calling Devin Carter a blink, uh, which is the B word here. It says as a result of the officer's egregious conduct Devin carter suffered physical injuries which include bruised eyes one in which was a bloodshot scuff marks including what appeared to be a shoe or boot impression present present on the left side of Devin Carter's face. In addition, Devin Carter also suffered injuries to his back, which appeared to be another shoe or boot print, scuff marks, and and abrasions. Devin Carter x-rays also revealed that he has a fractured nose. Devin Carter also suffered and continues to suffer from emotional distress as a result of this encounter. Devin Carter did not pose a threat of serious injury or harm after being restrained to the ground. Therefore, the violent assault Inflicted on him by Stockton police officers was unreasonable, unlawful, and unnecessary. End quote. So that is that lawsuit there. Uh, the attorney who represented Rodney King has filed this federal civil rights lawsuit against those four officers, against the officers who participated in what he describes as egregious, deplorable contact. Officer John Burris, excuse me, Attorney John Burris, who's representing Devin Devin Carter, uh, said, quote, These cops acted, these vicious cops acted like a pack of wolves, and Devin was their evening meal. I have not seen a police officer beating this outrageous since my former client, Rodney King, was beaten by LAPD officers back in March of 1991. End quote. The video footage of the police officers beating Mr. Carter was released last month on April 3rd. If you haven't seen it, I recommend that you do so. Just go on YouTube and type in the Devin Carter beating and that body cam footage will appear. In the video, there's cursing by the officers, as I just mentioned there. Uh, Their department later came out in a statement saying, quote, The investigation determined two of the the involved officers were well outside the scope of both our policy and training. Our department has policies that state we should make attempts to avoid striking an arrestee around the head and neck when possible. Given this set of circumstances, I cannot and will not condone any excessive force. Additionally, any use of profanity is considered unwarranted and not professional, end quote. The family of Mr. Carter and activists have spoken out about this in recent months. Carter's family is calling for criminal charges against the officers involved here and calling this and his family is also calling this, quote, a nightmare, end quote. So this is an ongoing situation. I'm not sure why this hasn't really gained any national attention or a lot of national attention, um, but we will keep an eye on this story. On May 25th, as you know, George uh, Perry Floyd was arrested for a counterfeit $20 bill. Officer Derek Chauvin put, then put his knee on, his, on Mr. Floyd's neck for 9 minutes and 29, 27 seconds. Excuse me. He shortly died and Chauvin kept his knee on Floyd's neck even after there was no pulse. Last month on April 20th, uh, as we'd all been holding our breaths and anxiously waiting for the verdict, it was read, Guilty on all counts. When the verdict was read, you heard uh, joy, people crying and hugging in the streets, as well as other places in their homes, too. Also, feelings of great shock. There was also some consternation, among others, uh, for the verdict. Uh, But after the verdict, former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin was denied bail and he was reprimanded reprimanded into custody. President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris addressed the nation upon the news of the verdict... Vice President Kamala Harris uh, uh, called this verdict, quote, a measure of justice and that both of them, both the president and the vice president there, they called this a step in the right direction. They also called for the the passing of the George Floyd Justicing and Policing Act. We now know that there are bipartisan uh, conversations on that right now. Uh, last month before a joint session of congress president biden did make that plea again he called for this to be passed by may 25th which is the anniversary of george floyd's death of course in other cases related to this we are watching the dante wright case last month during the chauvin trial mr wright was pulled over by by police officers in brooklyn minnesota at first, he was compliant, and another officer got their handcuffs on him, but then he, uh, but then this officer, a 26-year-old veteran of the police department, uh, this person, Officer Kimberly Potter, uh, said, taser, 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 warning Mr. Wright that she was going to tase him, but she ended up pulling her gun, and based on the footage, she was shocked. She said, holy expletive, I shot him. Uh, since then, she and her former chief have said that, essentially, that was inadvertent she did not mean to do it but for many that's hard to believe now there was a similar situation that happened uh, like this in 2009 with Oscar Grant Uh, he was a 22 year old unarmed black man the father of a four-year-old daughter and he was shot and killed on January 1st 2009 the officer in in that situation essentially said that it was an accident as well and he meant to pull his taser not his gun That officer was later found guilty in court of involuntary manslaughter and was released from prison in 2011 after serving an 11-month sentence. In this case with Mr. Dante Wright, he was a 20-year-old unarmed black man with a 2-year-old son. Excuse me, I believe that's a 1-year-old son. Mr. Wright was laid to rest last month and we are uh, still watching that case. Recently, according to CNN, Isaiah Brown, a 32-year-old uh, unarmed black man was shot by the same Virginia sheriff's deputy who gave him a ride home earlier in the hour. Uh, the Virginia State Police confirmed that to CNN, Mr. Brown is not dead, but was shot 10 times and is currently on a breathing machine at a hospital. And he is also said to be in very, very critical condition. Uh, Miss Jennifer Brown, Isaiah's mother, said, quote, my concern at this point is just for my son to hopefully come home alive. End quote. Reportedly, the officer mistook Isaiah's cordless uh, house phone for a gun. According to ABC News, his family is now seeking for the audio recording of the shooting to be released. In, other, in another case, Andrew Brown, a 42-year-old unarmed black man, a 42-year-old black man, uh, was shot and killed uh, last month after police went out to serve a search, a search warrant uh, for drugs. Reportedly, Mr. Brown was shot in the back of the head, ever since it has uh, been a constant legal fight to get the body cam footage released to the public. Initially, the family has only shown 20 seconds of the body body cam footage, and now they may actually see more. Uh, We know that because yesterday a judge ruled uh, that the family may see the video again, and this time they get to see more of it. According to the 11-page ruling by this judge, next week on Tuesday, uh, the family in this case will be able to see 19 minutes of a two-hour video. Of course, we are still watching that case as well as many others right now. Also, this week, uh, the United States Justice Department uh, essentially charged the three men in the case, uh, in the Mont Arbury case, with federal hate crime charges and also attempted kidnapping. In terms of other steps towards accountability and changes, last month, Attorney General Merrick Garland has announced uh, a a civil rights investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department and the Louisville Police Department as well. The first department is under which uh, George Floyd was murdered, and the second is under which Breonna Taylor was murdered. Uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland spoke last month about these new civil rights investigations into these two police departments. Now, primarily where that started was after the Rodney King case. In 2000, uh, the Department of Justice sued the LAPD alleging that it had engaged in a quote, pattern of practice of constitutional violations through excessive force, false arrest, unreasonable searches and seizures, and that management deficiencies had allowed this misconduct to occur. End quote. Following that lawsuit, the LAPD then uh, agreed essentially to a set of changes, a binding federal consent, and there was federal oversight to ensure that essentially those changes were actually being implemented and not just like, okay, we'll do it eventually. So that's sort of like the history of this behind here. In the Rodney King case, they could not secure justice in the state trial. So a federal trial was subsequently held and two of the four officers were convicted. So some type of justice secured there. Now we're sort of seeing the same thing play out today. Earlier this week, the Department of Justice uh, indicted the four officers involved in the death of Mr. George Floyd. In this indictment by DOJ, Derek Chauvin is also being charged uh, here with assaulting a young teenager by choking him and hitting him uh, multiple times with his flashlight during, earlier in his police career. Uh, we will keep an eye on all of these stories, but in terms of accountability, these are just extraordinary steps and signs of progress. Uh, but this fight for racial justice is a long way from over. We'll be right back. If you looked at America like a bird, and that was all you knew, would you really understand it with just that point of view? We've got a different way to look at it from right here on the ground. We don't just see United States. We see United towns. From where we sit, just down the street, near the post office, by the park, when we stop and look around, what we see our sparks. Sparks of hope, of compassion, of communities who stand firm when neighbors lift each other up expecting nothing in return. We're grateful for what you bring and all the sparks you've shown in the thousands of towns that we get to call home. Welcome back. So we have some breaking news here for you on the Jeremiah Patterson show, according to NBC news and many other networks which are reporting this, is that there has been an explosion, reportedly an explosion, um, a a bombing, what we are gathering here, a school bombing in Afghanistan. We are gathering this, that this transpired earlier today. According to NBC News, at least 50 girls are dead. That is three times the amount of people that were injured. Uh, This is NBC News reporter Richard Engel reporting about the situation in Afghanistan.
2: This is the price girls had to pay just for going to school in Kabul today. Islamic militants in Afghanistan oppose education for girls. And now that American troops are leaving this country, the extremists are trying to stop it by killing girls who dare to learn. We headed for the blast site as darkness fell. Soldiers agreed to let us pass, but warned us not to stay long because it isn't secure. The Taliban and ISIS are trying to fill the void as Americans pull out. Neither claimed responsibility for the attack. When we arrived, candles for the victims had just been lit. He's telling me the bomb exploded right here, and there's a little crater in the ground, and then the bomb itself was thrown up against the school gate, and this whole row was full of young girls. They had just come out of school. They were walking down this road on their way home when this blast happened. Police told us more than 50 girls were killed and three times as many injured. They've collected all of the belongings they could find, the notebooks, some clothing, blood-stained clothing, shoes, with the hope that family members can come by and see some of these things and know if their daughters were among the victims. It's even worse. There's a bag over here that has body parts in it. Down the road at a hospital, we found some of the victims. 60 here alone 14 year old Midium, she tells me how painful her burns are 17 year old malika with a broken leg and shrapnel above her eye and arifa also 17 years old why do you think this happened because they don't want girls to study or be educated she says but arifa isn't letting this stop her she wants to become a doctor I will continue my education even if I'm afraid, she says. Many Afghans are afraid now that Americans are leaving behind a country slipping back into war with militants who believe it's better to kill girls than let them learn.
0: Richard Engel, NBC News, Kabul. Once again, reporting from NBC News there about this uh, car, about this bomb that exploded. Um, Earlier today, of course, we are still following this story. According to authorities in Afghanistan, uh, they believe that 50 girls have died uh, in this bombing here uh, in Afghanistan. As we are continuing to follow this live, uh, just absolutely horrendous situation out of Afghanistan. Of course, as you heard in that report there, this comes after uh, President Biden has announced that the United States will withdraw from Afghanistan. We will end our 20 uh, long year war there. Um, This has been a controversial decision. Um, many people are uh, exuberant about this. Others are concerned for the young woman. There also many others now that we are leaving um, Afghanistan here. Uh, this is president Biden speaking last month about that decision. Of course, uh, in this, in that same speech, president Biden also essentially said that we will hold the Taliban accountable. Uh, but as the United States is essentially getting ready to depart um, As we are getting ready to depart Afghanistan by September 11th, it appears that the Taliban is essentially growing increasingly emboldened here. Uh, This was President Biden earlier uh, last month.
3: We cannot continue the cycle of extending or expanding our military presence in Afghanistan, hoping to create ideal conditions for the withdrawal and expecting a different result. I'm now the fourth United States president, to preside over American troop presence in Afghanistan, two Republicans, two Democrats. I will not pass this responsibility onto a fifth. After consulting closely with our allies and partners, with our military leaders and intelligence personnel, with our diplomats and our development experts, with the Congress and the Vice President, as well as with Mr. Ghani and many others around the world, I've concluded that it's time to end America's longest war. It's time for American troops to come home. When I came to office, I inherited a diplomatic agreement duly negotiated between the government of the United States and the Taliban that all U.S. forces would be out of Afghanistan by May 1, 2021, just three months after my inauguration. That's what we inherited, that commitment is perhaps not what I would have negotiated myself but it was an agreement made by the United States government and that means something so in keeping with that agreement and with our national interest the United States will begin our final withdrawal begin it on May 1 of this year we will not conduct a hasty rush to the exit we'll do it we'll do it responsibly deliberately and safely and we will do it in full coordination with our allies and partners.
0: Once again, President Joe Biden speaking last month about the United States' decision uh, to withdraw from the war in Afghanistan. Of course, this is a live story that we're still following, of course, after the bombing that just happened there today. Stay with us much more ahead. As the COVID-19 vaccines become available, you might be asking yourself, should I get it? And if I do, will I be able to go about life without putting my family at risk? You've got questions and that's normal. The fact is the vaccines are safe and effective. They're going to save lives. To get the latest on the COVID-19 vaccines, visit GetVaccineAnswers.org because getting back to the moments we miss starts with getting informed. It's up to you. In the 1984 presidential election, you had Democratic presidential candidate Walter Mondale and you had a Republican presidential candidate Ronald Reagan. Uh, As things were heating up and the election was drawing closer, in August of that year, the Reagan campaign chose a religious issue uh, to speak on. And President Reagan was set to give a radio address on that issue. He was going to say... um, Quote, my fellow Americans, I am pleased to tell you that today I signed legislation that will allow student religious groups, dot, 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 end quote. So he essentially goes on from there. So that's what President Reagan was supposed to say. But as they were setting up to make the speech and to make sure that everything was in check, all the audio levels were good and everything, he began with the opening line. uh, But then President Reagan also went on to include a joke at the beginning
4: of the speech. My fellow Americans, I'm pleased to tell you today that I've signed legislation that will outlaw Russia forever. We begin (laughs) bombing in five minutes.
0: That was President Reagan joking there on August 11th, 1984, while preparing for his speech there. Uh, while others may have thought it was funny, uh, Russia certainly did not uh, think that way. On October 18th, 1984, NBC News was finally able to piece together what it had happened after that audio recording was essentially leaked. Had, had was someone leaked that audio recording. And they are finally able to piece together what exactly happened after that in the the action that Russia had taken from there
3: it was the joke heard around the world the one by President Reagan about bombing the Soviet Union and it resulted in a Soviet red alert and it became a campaign issue in this country now Marvin Kalb has learned that the Soviets responded in their own fashion the president was joking his
4: way through an audio check on August 11th that I've signed legislation that will outlaw Russia forever we begin bombing in five minutes By August 14th, the story became world news, a major item on Moscow television where the joke was not treated as a laughing matter. August 15th, a coded message left Soviet military headquarters in Vladivostok. It said, in part, we now embark on military action against the U.S. forces. The code was instantly broken by U.S. and Japanese intelligence. This is what then happened. A special command unit in Yusurisk went on wartime alert. Key Japanese military units raised their readiness status. Soviet naval vessels in the North Pacific, baffled by the order, checked with Vladivostok. Confusion. U.S. intelligence urgently canvassed for signs of an imminent Soviet attack. Found none. Later, officials developed. of the top-secret National Security Agency Don't briefed ship. Congressman Michael Barnes. There was what they described as a wayward operator in the Soviet Far Eastern Command who sent out a message uh, alerting Soviet forces in that area that a state of war existed between the United States and the Soviet Union. Within 30 minutes, the mysterious Soviet alert was canceled.
0: So within 30 minutes, that alert indicating that a state of war existed between the United States and the Soviet Union, uh, that state of war alert was canceled. Uh, But that joke definitely did set off some alarms and became a big campaign matter during the 1984 presidential elections. It was a hot mic moment for the president. When presidents talk about uh, nuclear weapons, even if they are joking about it in a very serious, uh, even if they are joking about it, uh, nuclear weapons is a very, very, very serious and sensitive topic when it comes to international security. It is nothing to play around with because just like what happened, uh, just look at what happened back then in 1984. Uh, since then, when talking about nuclear weapons with other nations, particularly those becoming more advanced, uh, denuclearization is a common subject. In 1985, uh, North Korea joined the non non excuse me the non prolifer my apologies the non proliferation regime a treaty that would essentially make them stop creating nukes. In the 90s, there were some suspicious activity uh, that essentially indicated that perhaps maybe North Korea didn't really adhere to that treaty. And ever since then, it has been an uphill battle when it comes to denuclearization in North Korea. Uh, Right now, they have more nuclear weapons than ever. NBC News recently reported, "Quote: ever since North Korea began building nuclear weapons in the 1990s, the policy of the United States has been clear. Give up those bombs or face international isolation. After three decades of sanctions, threats of force, and diplomacy, including President Trump's uh, theatrical summits with North Korea leader Kim Jong-un, North Korea now has more nuclear weapons than ever. Plus ballistic missiles that intelligence officials say could deliver a warhead to the United States. And because of the global pandemic, the Hermit Kingdom has shuttered its borders, halting imports of food and medicine in a way more punishing than international sanctions could ever be. End quote. Uh, Well, now, uh, those talks and negotiations of denuclearization now fall into the hands of President Biden. And the administration is working on it. President Biden has called North Korea's nuclear program, excuse me, uh, intolerable. And the administration's stance on this is, quote, uh, not aimed at hostility, but achieving the complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, end quote. The president of South Korea, J.N., is expected to meet with President Biden on May 21st with with North Korea, excuse me, on the agenda, high on the agenda, uh, presumably denuclearization will be part of those talks. We will watch how this story plays out. The last note is next. At
4: a time when we're asked to sacrifice, we step up to do our part on the home front, <laughs> on the front lines to lend a helping hand and hold each other up. We are resilient, vigilant, and we'll get through this. Because we are better
0: together, even if we're a little farther apart welcome back so this episode i began recording this episode on saturday um but now it is sunday so i just want to wish all of you all of you mothers out there happy mother's day thank you so much for all of you all that you do especially amid the coronavirus pandemic navigating with with uh virtual learning and all the other things that come with the pandemic such as the mental health of your children and your grandchildren i mean there there's just so much out there right now uh amid the coronavirus pandemic that we are grappling with with all of these different adversities but thank you so much that for all of for all of you thank you so much uh for everything that all of you do happy mother's day to all the wonderful mothers out there uh thank you so much again uh so i want to make that announcement but i also like to say um we do have some more news stories coming up. Uh, the pattern of me posting here has sort of been inconsistent with publishing these episodes, but a lot of news story, a lot of episodes are going to be coming out soon. Uh, well, not like a lot, but uh, episodes containing some of the news stories that I haven't gotten to yet. Uh, the attack on our Democratic Republic. I do feel that uh, it is sort of being underestimated um, by some people, so I'm going to be covering that again. Also, some other news stories uh, as well that are, uh, I feel, not getting enough attention. So I'm going to be covering that as well. Uh, Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this episode, if you've made it this far, uh, please make sure to uh, share this episode with your family and friends. Also, have a great day. Remember to stay positive and inspired and take care. Stay safe as well.